0: Good morning, Impact. How are you? Good Listen, I hate to kind of start it like this, but that was real, real sweet worship, so that helped me to be able to start it like this. What we have to talk about today is it's one of those more serious ones. They're all serious, but sometimes it's a, it's a celebration of what's in God's Word, and sometimes it's tough to hear. And as I went through this parable for the umpteenth time in my life that we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 8, go ahead and turn there uh, in your Bibles, I wanted to share with you a little bit of from my perspective of what I go through um, so let me tell you a little bit about what happens on my end, because today's, today's a, a little different in the sense that it's not about me at all. Today is going to be 100% on you. I like that. Sometimes I feel like there's so much pressure on me every week. I'll tell you how much pressure, honestly, I feel. The Bible says, let not many of you become teachers, because there's a stricter calling on that. There's a heavier weight It talks about how some will use ministry, even though God says that in his word that don't add to this book, it says in Revelation, or the plagues in this book will be added to you. In other words, just preach it simply and exactly what's there. Don't try to do anything funny with it, uh, because there's a stricter judgment. God takes it very serious, what pastors are called to do. I take it very serious. Uh, A lot of scripture's about weight. There are people that don't treat preaching that serious. I've met pastors that just say it's a job. They've actually said that as a job. They expect me to marry and bury and, and tarry around while they, while I uh, love on their kids or just, you know, kind of like a caretaker of a building or something with people that happen to be in it once a week or a social club. Bible's very clear that there are going to be teachers and preachers that use this book and this beautiful living book of God's word for selfish motives. In fact, here's one that's really bad in 2 Corinthians it says that there'll be teachers. It says, uh, Paul said, unlike so many. He's talking to all the the Christians at Corinth and he says, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. Well, how many do that? Back then, he unlike so many. So apparently there was a lot of preachers springing up who saw what Paul did and maybe what Peter did and a lot of what the apostles and the first preachers did and went, wow, that's really powerful. But they didn't care about that. They said, I could speak like that. I can do well like that. And there's a lot of money to be had in this. It's actually peddled the word of God for profit, hoping to get rich off it. And we see it today, too. And the Bible's pretty clear that there'll be a strict judgment on this. There were others in the Bible that talks about that says there are going to be those who use the ability to teach and preach to woo women into sexual relationships. Believe it or not, who would be that sick to do that? It's out there. It's out there. And certainly those who will not take it serious. Even though there are scriptures, other scriptures say, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone, think anchor, tied around your neck, and for you to be thrown overboard into the deepest part of the sea. Translation, you send one person astray by the false words that you say, and it'd be better for you to drown. And I would say God takes it pretty serious. And I feel the weight of it. I mean, so there are some weeks when I struggle so much about what's coming up and the battle spiritually, which maybe some of you are going, what, what gives? You know, I thought you just kind of got up there and winged it and got it. No, it's actually a lot more than that. And if you think that, I, I don't know where you got that. Maybe you got that at a church where they just wing it. I don't know, but I take it very serious. And sometimes the battles spiritually and emotionally are hard to take. And this is one of those weeks. It's one of those weeks where I know what I've got to say. It's not going to be that popular. And it says this. Basically, I know that every time I teach, the word of God goes out and it falls on different hearts. And it falls on different ears. And some people will take the same message that I teach and just grab their spiritual arm, wrap their spiritual arms around it and receive it with joy and just get so excited. Some people will receive the message that I teach and just, well, they won't receive it at all. Just go, I don't get it. Why are you so emotional? He didn't say anything. And everything in between. Same message. Haven't you ever seen that? You ever gone to a movie and just went, that was incredible. That's life-changing. And somebody said, that's terrible. That was terrible. I didn't get anything out of that. Well, just this is the same thing except the stakes and the odds are so much greater. I mean, the, the stakes are eternal on this. It says, not many of you should become presumed to try to be a teacher because you've got to know you're going to be judged by a stricter judgment. So that's kind of the weight that's on me. There's actually been studies that done, done when preachers take it serious, when they preach passionately, when they really put their life into this. They have done st- studies on the adrenaline release. And they found that one sermon, and I, I, I've preached in little churches and big churches, and I, I, the most I ever did, I think, was at one point in, in my previous church, we got up to like six services in a little building. And they said, each time you preach, each one hour of preaching is the equivalent of an eight-hour workday from adrenaline standpoint. So if you're preaching seven times, you just did the whole week in one day and one morning. It's that intense. Unless it's just a job to you. It's that intense. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. And I realize, and here's part of the, kind of the struggle. I realize I've got to teach unapologetically, boldly, straightforward, no matter what happens. Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether it grows the church or it's a little church. That doesn't matter. It's got to be straightforward, uncompromised, God's word. So it's a a daily burden that I have. And I can tell you that each time that I preach, there's, it not only falls on different ears, but as this church grows, it's gonna start to happen more. I'll have people that come out and they'll shake my hand and just say, that, that, that really ministered to me. Thank you, that was a powerful sermon. And I'll get an email from somebody else who just said, you just blast it. Say, I'm leaving the church because of that sermon. So you see how it just runs the full gamut. It's all over the board how people receive it. Well, today, gang, is all on you. It's all on you. And I don't, I don't say that like I, I'm out of it. I already did my wrestling. This text is about how you receive God's word each and every week. You're gonna find yourself in this text today. And it's gonna be a struggle because some of the places, some of the categories, there's about four of them here, you're gonna hear and you're gonna go, that sounds like me. And they're dangerous places to be camping out. You don't wanna be in three out of four of these categories. You really don't wanna be there. But the good news that Impact churches we'll help you move. I mean, if you see the truth because you get it here, you don't have to stay there. God loved you enough to save you, but he loves you too much to leave you where he found you. So he will move you. All right, if you are in Luke chapter 8, look at verse 4. By the way, Luke was a doctor. So I'm using a surgery motif here. Have you kind of picked up on all the doctor stuff we've been doing here in this RX prescription series? Well, this one is going to be heart surgery. And I want you to prep for, sur- for surgery because this is, your, this is your personal heart surgery. Verse 4, and when a great crowd was gathering, and by the way, this is common now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, when they find out he's going to be somewhere, one town doesn't come, two towns don't come, people will leave three days ahead, hike incredible distances to be there. He's now speaking to 10, 20, maybe 30,000 people. So his... His crowds is, I guess he would be the modern equivalent of a rock star here. So great crowds are gathering. People from town after town came to him, and he said in a parable, think story. He said in a story. In fact, parable comes from the Greek, and it means alongside of. That's weird, isn't it? Alongside of what? Alongside of truth. So the way Jesus used stories was, even then, and, and that wasn't the ADD generation. This is. But even then, Jesus realized these people are going to go away. It's a highly illiterate group that he's talking to. Almost nobody could read. So he's like, they're, they're going to attach to one thing and remember one thing. So he would take a powerful truth and teach it in stories. That's a great teacher when they do that. And that's what he did. So he would t- tell these stories alongside the truth to give it weight, to make it memorable. And he said in a parable, a sower, a farmer, went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. First thing I wanna tell you is that Jesus is gonna use stories that everybody can relate to. Sometimes he's teaching on a plane and I really think that, not an airplane, but a plane and not a mountain, but a flat area. And he may look over and see a a tilled, you know, a bunch of ground that's been tilled and ready to plant and, and all this stuff or it's already been planted and so I think he would look at that or maybe he'd even see somebody out there working it and he would st- grab a hold of that and tell a story. It's a very agricultural society. Everybody could relate to this. 90% of people are basically farmers back then. Now, one of the things you need to know right away because they don't do it that way today is that when we farm, what do we do? We till up the ground, we make rows and we get it all great and turned up and put good soil in there and all, everything it needs. Then we put the seed in, right? Any farmers here? Raise your hand if you've ever worked on a farm. Okay. So you all consult with those farmers, see if this isn't true. I actually worked on a farm from the age 13 to 18, off and on, so I know this. But here's what's crazy back then. They didn't do it that way. You know what they did? The farmer would have a little pouch and he'd have his seed that he was going to plant and he would go out to his property and he would start putting all the seed out there on whatever ground, just right on the, on the basic square that he was going to plant and then he would till it. So it's backwards. Or actually, We're backwards. Better to do it the way we did it, but back then they would put the seed out and then work it into the soil. Are you with me? Work it into the soil. You're gonna find out soil here represents the heart. Seed is the gospel. So they're working it into the heart. So Jesus is trying to say, he's trying to say, I've gotta get these words in their heart. I've gotta get these words in their heart. If it's just in their head, it's not gonna make a difference. So let me tell them about four different kinds of soil, some that just doesn't move, some that works in, some that looks right, but it's dangerous, and one that works So that's what he does. He starts out with this first one. The first seed bypasses, bypasses. It bypasses the soil altogether, ends up on the road. Then people walk by and they trample on it, crush it, and it becomes breakfast for the birds. It's a triple whammy. So this first one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This first one is a triple bypass. Okay, we're gonna talk about heart surgery. This is a triple bypass, In other words, this first individual we're going to look at sees the gospel, bypass his heart because of three things. It starts out bad here. It gets worse. It's perhaps the highest risk group that we have of all the situations we're going to discuss because I've never met anybody ever who planted a garden on like this. See how hard that is? Not many people go out to their driveway and go, this looks like a good spot. I'm going to just put some seed on the concrete here, put some seed on the asphalt, and here we go. What do you expect would happen with that? Well, there's only really a couple things. Now, today, we might make it a quadruple bypass because your car would drive over it too, right? People will walk and trample it. Your car will drive over it and trample and crush it. Birds will come by. It's because sitting out there for days. If it doesn't get trampled, they'll take it away. This is the worst scenario. It's so hard, it's not even soil. It's basically the road. Like I said, the highest risk, but basically in mean, any one of these three categories, you end up in the same place. Now, here's what's cool about this parable. Jesus didn't always do this, but sometimes he would tell a whole parable and it's a little tricky and hard to understand, but then he would explain it. I like the ones he explains, don't you? This is one of the ones he explains. So you go through the whole thing and then he's gonna go through each category again and explain it. So he made my job really easy. We just gotta put it in a modern context. So in verse 11, he he explains his first seed. He says, the parable is this. The seed is this. You guys got it? That's the seed. If I'm carrying a pouch, guess what? I'm the farmer today. That's why I said this isn't really about me. This shouldn't even be called the parable of the sower at all. By the way, the names of the parables weren't in the Bible anyway. We'll put those later. Bad name. This should be called the parable of the soils. That's what it's really about. I'm the farmer. I'm casting seed. I cast it every week with this. When I preach, it's going out. And I promise you, there are four different types of soil sitting out there right now. Right now. Every week, they're sitting there. And I see it. And honestly, sometimes we'll give big evangelical messages. And I remember I did a Christmas uh, before where 300, 310, something like people, came to Christ. That sounds good. There were a couple thousand that were there, three, 4,000 over many nights at Christmas Eve services. But why didn't everybody? Well, because you got four categories. And the fourth one here is already Christian. So if you're already saved, you don't need to get saved. But how could some people be completely pierced with the message and want to, to pull out their, you know, raise their hands up and say, Daddy, take me home and, and adopt me, and I want to be saved. And some people just go, what's up with that guy? Same message. Because it's the condition of the soil. And if the condition of your heart, the condition of the soil is bad, you're in danger. The good news is it can change. But first, you've got to understand where you are. You might be kidding yourself. Parables is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. All right, So the people along the path, those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. All right, Now, some people debate whether the third and fourth are saved people or just the fourth, but nobody debates about the first one, right? Because it just said there, they may not be saved. These are non-Christians. It didn't hit a penetrable heart. It didn't hit good soil. It hit rock, bounced right off. It's not there. So scenario one is that the gospel goes out and a heart goes Whatever, thanks. I mean, I don't really get it. There's a lot of paths that lead to heaven coexist, you know. All roads are good. I have friends that are Muslim. They seem good. Got friends that are Buddhist. They seem great. Really doesn't matter. So it just kind of hits a a, a rocky heart. It's not received at all. Or the seed lands for a moment, but somebody quickly walks by and tramples it, and they crush the seed, and it's no good anymore. It won't sprout. Or it's there for a few minutes or maybe a few days. The cars don't get it and the trampoline doesn't get it, but the birds get it. They always seem to know when I aerate my yard (laughs) and put seed out. It's like every bird on earth finds it. They're flying overhead. There's one that's been aerated. You know, what are those little blackbirds that fly in groups of 50 billion? What are those things? And don't call them blackbirds, because that would be like, those little blackbirds, oh, those are blackbirds. No, they're little. Nobody knows? And they kind of, what are they called? Starlings. Starlings. Yeah, I think they are. And what happens is they're like the fish, schools of fish. You ever seen the little silverfish? You ever see, or you see them on TV? They, they move as one. Have you ever seen that? I mean, some, they just move like they all have the same mind and these birds move the same way and they seem to find seed. And then whew, if it's sitting out there and it's not in the ground, they're gonna get it. It's not gonna sit out there forever. So apparently Jesus is saying there are things in your life that when the gospel goes out, if you're not quick to receive it, if you don't move pretty quick, something's going to get it. It's not going to sit there forever. Something get. Something does happen every time I preach. Something happens. And one of the choices isn't nothing. Some of you go, well, last week I didn't feel anything, so I fit in the nothing category. No, that's the dead category. That's the hard as rock category. And it's a concern, but it's not nothing. Because Jesus said flat out, my word will not return void. So if you preach it and it goes out, that means my word will never be preached and do nothing. It always does something. It's just that the something it might do might be scary, might be bad. Let me give you an illustration on this. This, You know, when I was getting ready to be a junior in high school, I went to a place called Word of Life. It's a camp, and I actually was going that year to be a camper, and then I went to a uh, backpacking thing, and then I stayed on the rest of the summer and worked there on staff. It was a real life-changing time for me, about 16 years old, getting ready for my junior year. And I I took a job there, and it was a great job. It was so much fun. I got to be riding a rodeo and lead all the horseback riding stuff. And so I really got a a love for that. And and no, I was not the clown, in case some of you are going, you seem like the clown type. That was not me. I got to do the barrel races and all that stuff. But more importantly, I got very close to God. I mean, God got a hold of my heart, and it was just a life-changing time. And I knew that when I went back to my humongous high school, almost 3,000, huge high school, that I couldn't be the same. I couldn't just go back and play the games anymore. I mean, God was convicting me to say, what I've done in your life, I want to do for others. So will you be a vehicle for that, or will you just go play the game and hide me under a bushel and tell nobody what I've done in your life? Because that'll kind of show where the gospel went for me, wouldn't it? It's going to be real or not? Well, I had some decisions to make, and I decided that I, I wasn't a very good preacher at the time, even though I feel like God was calling me. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll, I'll invite people, God, and I'll get them to come back for winter camp, Word of Life winter camp. And so my, my goal was to fill up a bus. And at that time, I was, and this isn't a sermon on dating, but at that time, I was dating a, a gal. She's one year behind me, so she's a sophomore I'm a, a junior, and somebody going, my kids don't date at that. Like I said, this is not a dating thing. Right? This is something else. So I was praying for her. Probably shouldn't even have been dating her. She didn't know the Lord, but I was missionary dating, as you know. Okay? We were gonna bring her to the Lord. Have you ever heard that term? Bad idea. Also, I was gonna bring a lot of my friends. They're pretty popular guys. I wanted. To, I was praying for all of them. Well, most of them were going, except her. She wasn't going. So there was a lot of firsts in my life back then. It was the first time I ever fasted. I said, God, I'm gonna fast and pray that a spot will open up. The bus filled up and she couldn't go, but I I knew he wanted her to go. So I prayed that someone would get sick and drop out. (laughs) Not a good prayer, but I'm trying. I'm I'm getting there. So I'm praying and I'm fasting, and fasting for a 16-year-old, I think a day, it's kind of like dog years, that's like a year of not eating. If you don't eat for a day as a 16-year-old, you might as well fall on your sword. I was so hungry that I made a steak and I had it sitting there on a plate and it's 11.59 and I was just like this. You know, with a fork and knife. (laughs) God, I'm so hungry. As soon as it, you know, and I did pray. And I got, long and short of it is someone dropped out and she got to go. So I I got a phone call like two days before we left and she was ready and she got to go. And it was, I went up there, every single friend from my high school that went on that bus made a decision for Christ. Incredible, incredible time in my life. Except it didn't all take. It took for some of them, but not all of them. In fact, everyone that went on that bus that I invited is in this, this, this description of the soils. And I'm going to tell you in a moment, I've got to change their name. Let's call them Joe Meyer and Mandy Ruth. I made these names up so you could not possibly get that Mandy's really sandy, all right? Because that, that's really not something that we, oops, there it is. They're in the parable. You're in the parable. By the time we finish, you'll know where your spot is. First group. Second group, verse 6. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away. Now, this shouldn't be rock right here. Some of your Bibles say that, but it should be actually a mixture of the rock and the hard ground and the soil. So it's gravel is the best interpretation of it. Some of it fell way off on on the hard rock. Some of it fell on the gravel, which is a little bit of a mixture. But you got a little bit of soil, right? That's good. So something happens, at least to this one. It grew right up. In fact, when there's just a little bit of soil, sometimes a plant will grow even better. In the first few days, it'll look like you really had success because it can't push down so it pushes up and it looks like it grows even faster. But because it had no moisture, it didn't take. That's what I call the double bypass. This is the double bypass. This seed bypasses the soil and lands on the edge, basically gravel, and just manages to sprout but then withers. It's a double whammy, but it's just as bad as the triple whammy. And he'll explain this. Jesus will explain this one in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those that when they hear it, they receive it with joy. Have you ever seen anybody like that? They hear the gospel message and they go, that's awesome, I want that, that's cool. But look at what happens. i, I receive that with joy. That's, they're not just mild about it. They're not going, that's pretty good, all that. No, I want that. They're happy, they're ready to party. But these have no root they believe for a while. Think minutes. Think hours or days at the most. And in time of testing, though, they'll fall away. You know what's so sad about this? The time of testing is barely anything. The time of testing means when they go to school. And people say, hey, you going to the party this weekend? No, why not? You're not a Jesus freak now, are you? Oh, I can't take this. No, I'm not. I give it up. What I have what was I doing something? Yes, you were tormenting me. I just really I just said, Are you going? I didn't even know you went to where that's basically what happened to my friend. And you wouldn't believe how fired up he was. Incredibly fired up, filled with joy. I'll never forget the bus ride home and talking about the things of the Lord. In fact, when we got home two days later, there was a snowstorm, one of the worst I ever saw in Maryland. Two feet of snow, dumped in like twenty four hours. So school's canceled for a week. That part's pretty fun. This guy wanted to talk about the Lord so bad, he lived about six miles away. You know what he did? The roads are all closed. He walked. It took him like five hours to get to my house so he could talk about the Lord. So it was still really exciting. But when school opened up a week later, it was pretty popular, and people were asking him about parties and stuff. He didn't last five minutes. I sprung up so big and so powerful and so quick that I thought he was gonna be one of the mighty ones and it just wasn't real gone. Ever known anyone like that? Maybe some of you like that. Now, I know what I'm going to say next is super unpopular. It's not going to be fun at all. Probably the main reason I wrestle with this. And when you know my evangelical heart, you'll know I don't, I don't like to talk about this, but, it, but I know it's true. Sometimes people will ask me, they've asked me for years, well, how do you know all those people got saved? Hey, you're celebrating 200 decisions for Christ. Well, I don't believe all those people got saved. How do you know? I don't. I don't make them take a lie detector test when they get saved. And then they'll say, well, I don't believe you can save anyone. I'll go, congratulations, neither do I. It's not my job. You know what my job is? Well, here's, here's described this way as I'm the one that casts the seed out, right? Sometimes it says I'm the one that throws the net out. I'm the one that harvests the fruit. That's it. But I'm not the one that saves. Jesus is. So I'll say, you know what? I cast the net out faithfully and we'll bring it back. And then Jesus will separate the fish that are ones we keep and the ones you got to throw back. Sometimes the Bible says sheep and goats, sometimes the Bible says wheat and tares. But God will separate it, God will work it out. I'm still going to give the gospel. It's just that when it goes out, it's going to land on different soils. So a lot of people this, don't realize this. This is talking about men and women and children whatever youth that can point back to an event and say, Hey, are you a Christian? Yep. How do you know? Can't remember what it was or what I said or anything, but I think I said a prayer once. That's it? No. I raised my hand too. Or you'll talk to somebody else. You ever hear this? How do you know? I'm a Christian. How do you know? I remember Billy Graham came to town one day. I went with a bunch of people and I walked down to the field, gave me some literature and some other stuff happened, I think. So you walked an aisle. Yep. So you said a prayer. Yep. You raised your hand. Mm-hmm. That's it? Well, yeah. Well, that sounds like you're pointing to an event, not an encounter. The living God. Something's very wrong there. Well, I said yes to the guy who was preaching on Easter. He told me to pray this prayer, and I took it like magic. It's an incantation. I said it back, and he said I'd be saved. By the way, I've never said that to anybody in my life. I'm very careful to say, you better not just repeat these words back. You are now talking to the living God block out everybody else, doesn't matter who brought you, doesn't matter. This now is a conversation between you and God. And if you're truly talking to him, he will save you. If you're not, this isn't some magic prayer. I don't think I've given the same prayer twice. The words don't matter. It's the heart. So after these events, they point back to, they, they've not grown in their love for Jesus. They've not grown in their worship of him. They literally have a moment that they, that they point back to, and that's it. And there's never been any fruit of any kind. So Jesus is saying, and he says this in a lot of different areas, if you have, a, you have a fruit tree, let's say it's a fig tree, here and it starts growing apples, that's bad. It could be good. Maybe you're just wrong, and it was always an apple tree. But if you know it's a fig tree, it's not going to grow apples, Right? Most of you know that much about about agriculture. So it's not going to grow apples. It's going to grow the kind of fruit it is. And now it could grow up and somehow something's wrong and it's just dead. If it grows no fruit at all, something happened to that tree, it's dead. It's dead. A tree will have fruit. A fruit tree will have fruit. So he's saying if there's no fruit but you point back to an event, there's no salvation. There has to be fruit. Now we'll find out later. It might be a little bit, but it's got to be there. Has to be there. No option of of, of there not being fruit and you just getting a get out of hell free card. It doesn't exist. You don't get to present something like that in heaven and impress God. He won't be impressed. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Most in the Bible Belt have a story like this. I've never seen anywhere like this, like it is in the Bible Belt. When they're such and such years old, maybe they had a conversation. A lot of times it's with mommy and daddy and they say, hey, Son, do you you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy where there's streets of gold and paradise and and all this? Or would you rather be separated for eternity from us all by yourself where they burn? I want to go to heaven, say this prayer. Most people can point back to something like that. So you give them a prayer and they speak it back, most most time terrified. And then they look back on that and say, well, that's what I point back to. And they may have even been conformed, but I've noticed this too in the South, too. some sort of moral pattern. But they have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit at all. It doesn't reside in there. So you see how dangerous this is? They have no root, completely unwilling to repent, completely unwilling to create any kind of depth. It's just, there's nothing there. That wasn't there with my friend, Joe Meyer. Let's get back to them. Pretty fired up. Fell away. Mandy pretty fired up, lasted a while. while. Didn't fall right away. Looked a little more impressive. Not quite as fired up, but a little more consistent, a little more long-lasting, whatever it was. So let's see what it was. This is somebody that, when the seed goes out, their heart is impressed with the benefits package. Does that make sense? All the benefits of salvation. And there's the really cool one of not being separated from loved ones and, and God forever and ever. It's a cool one of being in, a, in paradise and that's better than anything you could ever go to in this life. Better than Hawaii, better than anything. Or the dark place where there's... Burn, I mean, the benefits package is pretty good. It's pretty impressive, right? And they saw that but they saw no take up your cross and follow me. They they missed that. And they missed the part where Jesus says, count the cost. And you gotta understand this, there is no cost to salvation, right? But you're confusing me, Pastor. What does that mean? You just said count the cost. The cost of sanctification. If you're really saved, it's not gonna be a cakewalk. So what happens in this category that is the most scary thing, and is why I shared the first part of what I go through as a pastor, is because. Some pastors are gonna be responsible for people in this category. You know why? They gave a false gospel. They gave a gospel that said, Jesus wants you to be saved. He wants to make your life heaven on earth. It'll be a cakewalk. And he wants to make you healthy and he wants to make you unbelievably wealthy and powerful and popular and everything. That's what he came to do. You know, God may bless you in that way. He might. But that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel as they teach, as so many teach, is not in this book. I, I... some of you may be going, yes, it is. Find it. Well, Solomon. Yes, Solomon was rich, and Solomon was, was wise. and Solomon also was one of the biggest mess-ups in the whole Bible. Do you think he's a picture of how to do it? Yeah, because he's rich. Oh, I see how you're working it. I see how you're working it. That's making God and the gospel in your own image. That's what we want, right? And we want it so bad, you just take the gospel and tweak it a little bit and turn some dials and push some buttons and go, I like that gospel pretty good. That's better. But the same God who said that he would save you also said, take up your cross and follow me. And that same God never asked for people to just be fans. He said, no, though, there's a whole following deal, and, and people will persecute you, and people will ridicule you, and Some people will hate you just for saying the truth and loving them, and it won't make sense. And he said, in fact, you think if they hated me, they're not gonna hate you for living like me? Of course they will. And if people never challenge you for your faith and never rub the wrong way at all, never bothers them in the least, maybe your faith isn't the real deal because the real faith is sometimes like sandpaper. It will rub people the wrong way. Just like my sermons sometimes do. You can preach a light, fluffy one that almost never rubs anybody the wrong way. And Paul talked about that when he told Timothy that in the last days, those kind of preachers are going to increase. They'll learn how to dial in and go, hey, this works. These people are pretty fickle. You just find out what they want, twist this to where it sounds like God will give them what they want, like a genie, and they'll flock like crazy. And that's a pretty good gig when they do that. Problem is, you will have to stand before God and try to explain to Jesus why you gave a false gospel, and that will not go good. That will not go good. So they missed this part. Now, the last group. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and that's explained in verse 14. And... As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This young lady, Mandy, I think she was wanting to please. I think she was wanting to stay in a relationship. I think she saw some of the benefits, but things began to be, she began to experience some of the pain and some of the being ostracized and some of the difficulty and some of the stuff that comes with taking up your cross. And I think she actually watched me experience and didn't really experience it herself, but she, as she saw more of that, she thought, I don't really want that. That's this category. And it may look the most legit of all without being legit. Without being legitimately saved. How do I know this? Because here, gang, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Do you know what that means? This is good news. So listen up. It means he who adopts you as a son or daughter is not going to de-adopt you. God will begin a work in you and he's gonna see it all the way through to the end. If it's not being seen and there is no fruit, no work got started. Because if a work got started and it's not seen through, God's a liar, right? Right? And he's not a liar. God cannot lie. So if he started a legitimate work in you, in good soil, in that heart, he's not gonna let you go. You'll be saved. But man, we can imitate it, can't we? Man, we can get really close to it and mimic it. In fact, what is Satan called? Show me in here where it says, well, he's called the little red guy with the horns and the pitchfork. I don't remember. Where, where is that? Because I can't find it. I only find that in cartoons. And now I can tell you this, without knowing him personally, thank God, I never want to know him. I can tell you this, he loves that. Call him the little red guy with the horns and the pitchfork all day long. Absolutely loves it. You know why? You'll never take him serious. Never take him serious. If you think he's that little guy, then you'll just think he's no problem. And he will wreak havoc in your life. Do you know what he actually is? An angel. A fallen angel, Lucifer. An angel of light. Do you know why he's so good at what he does? He mimics. He sees what we do. He's like a Japanese automaker. He sees the American cars and he makes it better. (laughs) He just does. Strike that from the recording, please. He doesn't make it better, but you know what he does do? He sees what Jesus offers and he goes, you know what? I know what the world really wants. They don't want to take up the cross. They don't like the hard stuff. So I'm going to remake this just with all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. And people will clamor for that and I will take them all the way to hell with me. Because that's a false gospel. He's an angel of light. He will make it look really good and then you may make it look really good all your life, but again, you'll stand before God and he'll say, we never started a relationship, you and I. I know you because I created you, but other than that, I don't know you and now you need to depart from me. You're not gonna spend eternity here with my family. You're not part of that family. I wanna avoid that for everybody here. For everybody here. So it fell among the thorns and they hear it and it, chokes it out, the cares and the riches and the pleasure. Look at this. It's not just riches and good things. It's bad things too. It's all the things in life that trouble us, that choke it out. And, I've, and I call this one the single bypass. This seed bypasses the soil, ends up on the, in the weeds. That's it. One thing ends up in the weeds, but these weeds are bad. These thorns are bad. They choke it out. It's a man or woman who hears the gospel and receives it, but as they begin to walk, there's an invitation to move from fan to follower. You hear me talk about this a lot. And by the way, there is no choice in Scripture for the Christian. In fact, this is why we're gonna take next week to finish this parable. I'm gonna talk to the Christians. Only the fourth category. But there is no choice in the Bible to follow the Lord and sit on the bench and just get salvation and that card and never do anything. People seem to believe, especially in American evangelicalism, that there's a whole category. In fact, in America, it's huge. There's millions in it. It's category three, and you're not saved. He doesn't call you and then say, you know what? I was thinking back to how I created you, and I apologize, you're not that good at anything. So I'll save you, my bad, I'm going to put you on the bench. Don't do anything, you'll just embarrass yourself. There is nobody like that. In fact, those who don't have much going for him, he loves to use you. He gets more glory. The hotshots and the superstars are very hard to use. They really are. Because ultimately, in preaching or music or anything, watch them. Ultimately, you will hardly ever hear about Jesus. And you will hear about them. They will talk all the time about how great this or that is, and you've got to strip everything away and go, are we ever going to talk about Jesus ever in this place? It's supposed to be about Jesus, right, not you? Watch that stuff. Watch it carefully. You've got a great mimicker. But here's what I want to say. There's no JV offered. The good news is everybody makes varsity if they're truly saved, and that's what he expects from you. There's no JV, none. But we seem to think there is. And if there was something below JV, we'd opt for that, many of us. He's saying, you know what, that's just the third category. You're letting cheap stuff and cares or even riches or even popularity or even great things keep you from something better. Isn't that what it says? The old saying, good is the enemy of great. That's what this third category is. You know what one thing I love about impact and I want this to grow. I really, really want this to be a place. One of my favorite pastors said this, Matt Chandler, and I want it to be this way. I don't know, if you've known me for more than a few months, then I'm going to let you in on a secret that you discovered after talking to me for five minutes. So it's not really a secret. Humor me, I like to think it is. I'm not perfect. Some of you are going, did he think anybody thought thought he was? Oh no, I'm very flawed. In fact, almost basically everything I teach against here, I've struggled with. (gasps) Honey, let's go. run to the exit. Pastors are supposed to be perfect. I don't know where if you've ever met that guy. I haven't. In fact, I grew up and I moved 22 times before I was 19 years old, all over the country. Went to a lot of different churches. And if I ever heard, even as a kid, a pastor who was teaching like he was perfect, I wanted so bad to get out of there. I thought, this guy's not real. This guy's plastic. It can't be this way. It's not this way. So I want you to know something. I I love God's grace because you know what it is? Undeserved unmerited, unearned favor. That's why I'm preaching. Because God's into comedy. (laughs) And he looks at my life and he goes, man, you really have messed up a lot, haven't you? Yeah, I want to use you. I think I want to build a great church with you. All the glory is going to come to me. It really can't help but come to me. Look at you. But I love you. And I forgive you for all that and just keep coming to me when you mess up just keep coming Pastor Rob he doesn't call me Pastor Rob just calls me Robbie or Robert if he's mad just keep coming to me when you mess up just keep coming say you're sorry teach them about how you struggle let them know that you're real and we'll grow a real church so three of you agree with that that's good Can I I tell you something? We'll close with this. Some of the ugly things that we trade this stuff for. We want intimacy. Jesus offers it. So we live in a day and age where we turn on our computer and and men struggle with this. And now I'm reading that women struggle almost as much with men. And, And sex and pornography and everything is in your face. And some people say, you know, when God says, I call you to a deeper life, to deep intimacy with me. I don't really want that. I have to give things up. I'll take this. That cheap imitation garbage that tears you apart, that's a bad, tra- that's a bad trade for anything. But even, there, I, single gals, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I know you're out there, but some of you think the best thing with, that could happen is if I get married. And some of you, you need to know the worst thing in the world is not being single the worst thing for you would be marrying a guy that won't lead you and won't lead you to Christ. It would be much better to give your whole life to Christ than to marry someone just because you think, because you traded that for intimacy with God. It's funny, my wife and, you know, we got married later in life and we actually wanted to have more kids and I I wanted 12. I wanted a TV show that rhymed with a name somehow and get a lot of kids. Um, But we got married later in, in life. But you know why? This is hard to get out because it's very humbling. But she said, I just, I wanted to wait for a a godly man. And so sometimes I look at that in the mirror and I go, but you got me. (laughs) Instead, we were talking about this last night. Because I I struggled this week with this lesson. More than normal. Just one of those things you can't really put in words. But she says, no, I I got the man I prayed for. It was worth the wait. I said, even with all my screw-ups, especially with all your screw-ups. And I look at how I am as a father and I think I'm blessed with some great kids. Sorry, but I got the best. I know there's parents out there going, you're a close second. And I look at them and I go, how can I be a better father to them? What's a better father? Did I make sure that my daughter grows up and loves Jesus with all her heart. Did I make sure that my son's a leader. That that single woman out there praying for a godly man—that he'll be it, and lead. That that man that'll lead will find my daughter. When you're forty, <laughs> if it's before that, I'm. Um... So here's what I was gonna say. That Chandler says, "I love this. I want Impact to be a church for. It's okay to not be okay. Don't you?" Because we have so many places in our life where it's expected to be fake. It seems like the goal, the goal is that everybody think you're perfect. What a horrible goal, because that's category three. That'll lead you straight to hell, because you'll never fool God. I mean, he's looking at you going, I know where you mess up. Who are you trying to get? How about you just come home and let me fix you, instead of trying to get everybody to think you're perfect? Impact will be a church where it's okay to not be okay it's okay for you to be a liar got some young guys on staff I want you guys to know that it's okay for you to come into my office and say I'm struggling with something these young guys are challenging me like crazy they're honest a little brutally honest in Seth's case they sold out man they're hungry they want to see God do something great here. So they're keeping me on my toes. And I want you to know, Seth, and I want Will to, you can come in my office and you can say, I'm not okay. I'm struggling with something. I'm going to be thanking God for that. All right, then let's talk. Let's talk about what God could do for that. But please don't fake it. It's not okay to be a liar. It's not okay to fake it for years and go, well, everybody had to think of it. No, that's not okay. We can't get anywhere like that. Can't get anywhere like that as a church. If the any of the prayer teams still here, would you do me a favor? Can you come down front? And if, if they're not here right now, if they're in the back praying, then that would mean a couple elders come down front. And I want you to know that if you need time to wrestle through this and, and someone to pray with, there's going to be people down front. I'm going to be waiting afterwards in the back. We're going to take next week to talk about the good soil because it's, it's too important to talk about real Christianity and what God wants to do with you when that soil's rich and the seed lands and you are saved. There's a glorious life waiting for you. That's too much to be unpacked in five or ten minutes, so we'll leave that. But if you are, this morning, in one of these three soils, you're in danger. You're, You're in a bad place. It's okay to not be okay, but do something about it. You need to come home to Jesus. You need to come home. And these guys will pray with you. These guys, these gals, they'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. I'll be waiting there. I love to talk with you guys. Some of you sprint to get by me. I don't know why. I'm waiting. I love to talk and hang out as long as you need. So let me close this in prayer. Pray that God moves. Father, I know that your word is true, and I know that sitting out there right now or maybe listening on the podcast are all types of soils. There's some that are sitting here rock hard. That's hard to believe, God, because I know your spirit's moving, but there will be some here today that it won't penetrate a thing. They'll walk out and they'll say, I don't get it. Yeah, whatever. God, if it's your will, I pray you soften those hearts, the hardest one there is. God, the most dangerous one maybe, those that think they're saved that aren't. God, they said a prayer, they raised their hand, but they weren't talking to you, God. There is no card they're gonna be able to show. There's only a relationship. And if you do not agree, then there's no relationship. Give them the assurance, Lord, and the strength to come down and pray and receive you as Savior and start this race the right way. And then, God, move mightily. Let this be a marker moment in Impact Church. God, we have prayed that you would, when you're ready, God, begin a movement here so we can show Charlotte something different, something real. Maybe just the place to come to be okay if you're not okay. Love you, God. It's a struggle this week, but thank you for bringing it home. In your precious son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen.